Hello and welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. This is the Notebook Dump Edition and congratulations for making it through yet another week. We're almost into the summer. That must feel pretty good. Unless you're in New York and then everything looks orange all the time, uh, at least for a couple more, a couple more days. Um, my name is Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading. I'm joined by uh, Nicole Ferraro in uh, said New York in the orange capital of the world. Uh, Jeff Baumgartner in Colorado and Kelsey Zeiser, who was in Ottawa, but did not start a forest fire. Um, but now, she, now she's now she's back in in the Carolinas, uh, probably North Carolina today, I would imagine. Yes. Okay. Um, I always get that wrong. This time I got it right. That's very unusual. <laughs> uh, some housekeeping announcements. Um, the first thing is that uh, we're going to move the notebook dump to a uh, an every other week thing during the summer months because we've got people coming and going on vacation, and there's a little bit of travel mixed in here or there, and then of course. Uh, the news is slowing down just a tad. So uh, we don't have quite as much to react to. We do have a lot uh, for you to see and read and listen to and all that stuff on lightreading.com. But this particular podcast will go every other week until probably August, September timeframe. We'll see how it goes. But uh, uh, thanks for, uh, uh, for, keeping us going and continuing to uh, uh, listen and watch wherever you may be listening and watching. Uh, let's go around the horn and see what the heck is going on out there. Um, first, we'll start with Nicole before she runs out of oxygen and uh, <laughs> and turn and her and she turns orange. I mean, uh, you really set me up here because you said New York is the orange capital of the world and Trump was born in Queens. Like I'm trying not to make that joke, but I did whatever. That's right. He's whatever. ahead of the game. <laughs> right. That we were always the orange capital of the world because of that. There All right. Go. Anyway, whatever. Pretend I didn't say that. But anyway, um, Apart from uh, being immersed in all things orange, uh, this week I have been thinking about the Affordable Connectivity Program, the ACP, as oh, yeah. I often am. Yes. Um, the uh, So it, I, I've mentioned here before uh, that there's been a lot of discussion this year about the fate of the Affordable Connectivity Program because it is projected to run out of funding next yep. year. Um, and I think we're getting a little bit more color on uh, that situation and where it's headed, but as always, let me just quickly level set and tell you that the Affordable Connectivity Program is a monthly broadband subsidy for low-income households, currently subsidizing over 18 million households in the U.S. with uh, $30 a month toward broadband service, uh, up to $75 if you're a household on tribal land, as well as a one-time $100 uh, device subsidy. Um, so uh, as I said, it's projected to run out of funding sometime next year. How fast that happens depends in part on the success of uh, an ongoing grant program that the FCC is running to help local governments and nonprofits get more households enrolled because um, the uh, there's some estimates that show that roughly 40 million households in the U.S. are actually eligible for this program. And so 18 million is obviously a fraction of that. Um, so anyway, 
the there's been discussions all year about how uh, it's unclear if this program will have the support to get renewed um, with additional funding. It was passed in the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, uh, which was passed in 2021 with bipartisan support. But we have a different Congress now. Um, Republicans are in control of the House. Uh, there's just a, a bit of a different vibe in Congress. If you're if you're if you watch those guys, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so it's been a little unclear on if that program will have support. People in the industry have sort of been like, well, it passed with bipartisan support, so we're confident it's going to do the same thing. Those feelings are sort of getting a little bit more, uh, you know, less um, sort of diplomatic. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Particularly because a letter was recently released by House and Senate um, oversight leaders, uh, Ted Cruz, uh, Kathy McMorris-Rogers, um, to the FCC Office of Inspector General asking a lot of questions about the program um, and basically complaining that uh, the eligibility requirements are too broad and that there's too much potential for waste, fraud, and abuse. Um, and earlier this week, uh, former FCC commissioner, a conservative Republican, as he was self-described, uh, Michael O'Reilly, spoke on a panel about the ACP and said, while he supports the program, based on his conversations with Republicans on the Hill, basically, it's going to need a lot of modifications in terms of eligibility requirements um, and waste and fraud and such if it's going to get uh, funded again. So uh, I think that we are now in the spot where it's becoming clearer that it's really unclear if it's going to have the support. And if it will, it's going to require a lot of changes. So I don't think we're anywhere near seeing a bill that will uh, refund this program. Um, It'll probably come down to the wire uh, sometime next year. And um, it's going to need a lot more uh, a lot more pushing from the ISPs that want this money, from the constituents that are benefiting from it. Um, and so we'll see what happens. But it's it's definitely a rough spot for the ACP to be in right now. Yeah, I yeah, thought you and um, your interview with Gigi Stone on The Divide was interesting. And she, you guys talked a little bit about that as well. And, and she seemed kind of concerned about it running out and... Um, you know, I, I thought it was interesting when you all were talking about uh, how people balance just their budget. Like, do they, you know, can you, do you prioritize groceries or broadband? You know, like, right. what, do you, yeah. what do you do? It puts a lot of people in a really tight spot. So, um, yeah. And I've heard that uh, example cited many times. Every time I hear people talk about the ACP, people who help people enroll in the program, they talk about that earlier this week on one of these panels. I, I wrote about this in, in one in a story this week that uh, somebody mentioned uh, that exact thing, that they helped somebody enroll and that person was deciding whether to keep broadband or get groceries. So, you know, it, it is that kind of a thing. And one of the sticking points for the Republicans appears to be, well, were these people, uns- were they not enrolled in any broadband service? Um, that's who, at least this letter from Ted Cruz and Kathy McMorris-Rogers and so on, they are indicating that they want this program to be prioritized for people who are not connected to broadband, not people who are connected and are now using it to subsidize that connection. But that, you know, who is to decide What's what any different? individual, right, well, exactly. So I that's mean, what it, yeah. That, that, yeah, yeah it that's where really I, get, I get kind of... Yeah wrapped or you know wrapped up in this is that it's just the the goal is to connect more people exactly up so yeah. and i mean i mean and i would think republicans would be into that because you know they spend a uh, you know uh especially 
Mr. Cruz spends an inordinate amount of time uh, on social platforms and not as much time doing his job as he actually should. He hasn't done a damn thing for this state. Um, so it's interesting <laughs> that they don't, <laughs> it's interesting. That, like, but that, that wasn't even a joke. That that's a <laughs> priority. No, that's just even a fact, but it's, it's a that's priority as as I could get for to them like- to root out uh, waste and corruption. Um, you know, given his peer group at the Texas state house, I'm really shocked that that's, uh, uh, that that's on the agenda, but the, uh, but the whole point waste included is to, get more and more people connected that benefits everybody. And like you said, it certainly benefits the broadband providers who are at a point now where their only way toward growth is to simply steal subscribers from other broadband providers. You know, (laughs) regulation has failed. Um, you know, there isn't, there isn't a healthy competitive market. So the only way for these guys to grow or show growth to their shareholders is to steal customers. And the only way to come up with new customers is to connect the unconnected. So, yeah, they're really, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of dominoes falling right now if this thing goes away. Well, I, I think it's interesting. I don't know how much granularity they, they provide. Nicole, when you're talking about, you know, who's using ACP to get connected at all versus subsidizing their existing service and maybe upgrading to a different speed. And, uh, and I, I thought that was interesting because it comes up a lot on, particularly on the cable one calls. The the question always comes up about ACP and they seem to, they have indicated that a lot of the uh, uh, transactions involving ACP or those kind of customers that are using it to get a higher level of speed. And it also came out in like the open vault studies on broadband consumption. It's like, wow, why are the ACP, yeah, they were able to kind of pinpoint some of that and the amount of data used by that particular group was pretty high. But again, it was because they're using those funds to get more speed. Yeah. Right. So if you're looking at this from a cynical perspective, mm-hmm. uh, the perspective that I would say the Republicans are taking on this matter, yeah. you would say, well, uh, they don't need that speed or if they can just get that speed themselves. But mm-hmm. how do you know that those people need that speed in order to do their job from home, their whatever it is, and they can't afford it without this subsidy and they wouldn't have it without this subsidy. They would be, you know, relegated to some speed tier that doesn't work for their family. So I don't know if we can go around to, you know, each individual household and put them to the test and find out if they're really worthy of the benefit. But um, it's certainly going to be a dramatic problem uh, to kick 18 million and counting households off of a a program um, just as we're spending $40 billion to build networks everywhere. That's um, where I think this will come to a head is when you have to kick people off and then it get, then it starts showing up in the numbers. And yeah. The broadband well, providers. Yeah. yeah when the, the, whole when the CEOs, yeah. you know, are getting grilled yeah. by analysts about, you know, whether their plans are working because the numbers are so terrible and so on and so forth, yeah. then that'll roll downhill and, uh, you know, uh, all the grandstanding will suddenly cease for a moment and people might actually get, get something done. Yeah. And just to answer Jeff's question about the, there was no granularity. The, uh, the FCC office of inspector general basically responded to the letter with, we don't have answers for most of these questions, but they're, they're doing, you know, an oversight, you know, they're looking into various things. So we will see. Cool. Uh, Kelsey, let's move on to you. You were up in Ottawa this week visiting Siena. What'd you, uh, what'd you see and what'd you do? 
Yeah. So, I mean, for one, the the wildfires were a little <laughs> crazy. Pretty scary Luckily, stuff, yeah. Yeah. It was just um, like this orange tint over everything and uh, definitely it smelled pretty smoky there. Um, but aside from that, it was a good event. Um, so Sienna was hosting their Vectors event, which they do every couple of years. The last one I went to was in 2017 and, you know, the pandemic kind of derailed all the in-person events, but it's for uh, media analysts and their customers. And it's um, hosted at their Ottawa um, lab. And they talked a lot about the WaveLogic 6 modem, which is their, um, you know, 1.6 terabit service, which kind of leapfrogged what a lot of the optical industry is doing. Um, A lot of their competitors are focused on 1.2, but they went ahead to 1.6, 1.6, which is going to be, I think, generally available next year. Um, so got to see some of the equipment in person. And also um, they talked a lot about uh, sustainability and energy efficiency. Um, for example, um, within uh, the, the WaveLogic 6 modem, they use a three nanometer chip um, instead of, I, I think a lot of competitors are using five nanometers. Uh, and it's more energy efficient. Uh, and then they were talking also about um, the, um, so they're entering the metro routing market. And so they have their wave router um, product, which they, um, the way they designed it allows for uh, customers to, um, I guess, have more equipment in a smaller space instead of having to leave racks open. The, right. Um, the thermal uh, cooling is better. Uh, And then they also have the option um, to add liquid cooling in the future. Mm. Um, And (laughs) I asked the, I was like, is this a dumb question? Like what, what is in liquid cooling? And they said it's 25% propylene glycol, which I think is like a food additive and then 75% water. So for anyone wondering what Mm. kind of liquid. You want to make your own at home. You want to make some lunch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not on that. Yeah. Yeah. The broth. Yeah. The the rack stacking thing is actually a real deal though in data centers. It's like they they, you know, because these things run at such capacities and the equipment, especially older equipment, gets to such a temperature that they found the only way to manage the problem, no matter how cool they kept the surrounding air, was to simply just remove every other uh something out of every other slot (laughs) and allow more airflow through the rack itself. And of course that completely blows any efficiency that you have in the data center. So uh, it's good to hear that they're addressing that because, because, you know, one problem leads to another, the more bandwidth, the more miniaturization of components, the more likely you're going to have this uh, concept of thermal runaway or sort of equipment just simply overheating because it's moving too much. Uh, too many bits around on a circuit board. Yeah. Um, they said they were talking to a customer that like in a typical um, chassis, if you're going in and like removing a component from the back, they had to use oven mitts. And then <laughs> this woman was keeping like a liter of water with her because she would get so hot. She would go through all the yeah. water while she was doing it. And it's, it's hard to access from the back. So the liquid cooling is kind of interesting. Like they're like, okay, go ahead. You can touch it. And I'm like, all right, I'm trusting you, but <laughs> it was fine. It was totally cool. I didn't need any oven mitts. And so. Didn't leave any scars no, like, on your hand. There could be a lawsuit <laughs> in the making here. Yeah. 
Yeah, it wasn't a... even the wildfires that got me. <laughs> well, I was going to say this is a very, very uh, like fire hazardy trip. So, yeah, so a lot of I'm heat. very yeah. surprised this <clears throat> ended with you at home and not in the emergency room. Very glad of <laughs> totally that. Totally fine. Um, so uh, if you're if you're watching on the site, so in the next few days, as you're hearing this, Kelsey will have some podcasts that she recorded from uh, from Ottawa. So we'll we'll have kind of continuing coverage of Sienna. Uh, you know, throughout, they are the market leader in optical networking. And so obviously what they say dictates a lot of what direction the market is going. Um, also, it, you know, if you're on the site this week, check out uh, Ian's story on their uh, earnings and the sort of vexing issue they're finding with the the backlog uh, that they have where they were customers have uh, put in equipment orders and, uh, you know, they're, they're sort of waiting on either components or they're waiting on customers to uh, decide, you know, what, you know, to to solidify deployment dates and stuff like that. In my opinion, some of these fall under good problems to have because it's like a pile up of orders means that there's orders. But uh, there is some, you know, Ian gets into all the issues there about you know kind of what that uh, what that means in real life and in real time when a company's trying to sort of struggling to keep up even when it's uh, you know. Uh, ahead of the market in, in a lot of ways. Uh, Jeff, uh, what the heck did you do this week? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it, like you said at the beginning, we are kind of in this slow phase of the year, but uh, there was some big news out of the cable tech world that was hiding out in the open, I guess. And that was that uh, Cable Labs has booted up its Doxis 4 uh, modem certification program. They just kind of dropped this thing on their website. So, uh, but what it said is that vendors can start to submit their devices starting June 26th. So just a few weeks away. And it's a pretty big deal because it signals the progress that's being made with uh, modem products that support a spec that will pave the way for symmetrical gigabit broadband on HFC networks with lower latency and enhanced security. Uh, DAA is a requirement. So the hope is that Doxus 4.0 is also going to bump up the, uh, the reliability of the network. Um, but the big question I think now is like, who's going to be ready to go uh, by later this month? And I put questions out to all the vendors about their plans. And uh, at this very moment, nothing has been confirmed by any of them, but you uh, lost your number, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, who, what? Yeah. So we'll see though. I mean, I, I think who? they're, I think they're all like double checking. What should we tell him? Yeah. So, um, yeah, right. right. But, Let's all uh, get together and get our story straight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And is cable labs okay with this? Yeah, I, mean, I think that there's a lot of that conversation going on. Um, but I was talking to some people today and uh, yeah, the thought is that the most likely candidates are at least for the first initial rounds around might involve the suppliers that are involved in this uh, this Broadcom joint development agreement that you had to sign to get access to the uh, chipsets kind of in the early stages right. here. So if you look at that group, it could be Hytron, it could be Vantiva, which split out of Technicolor a little while back. It could be Hytron, uh, UB Interactive is another supplier there, maybe Circom. Um, so I'm going to do my best to stay on top of that. Um, I'm actually speaking to Cable Labs soon uh, to get a little more color on the program, so I'll have more to share one way or the other. But um, in the meantime, we do know a couple things. Um, uh, Cable Labs is prepared to test 
uh, products against both options for 4.0. So that's full duplex DOCSIS that Comcast is doing. Uh, the extended spectrum DOCSIS option, which most everybody else is focused on. So the suppliers can either test against one or the other or both. And the fees for that, it's like 209000 bucks. So, you know, pocket change for some, <laughs> maybe some of the smaller suppliers. And that's a pretty big uh, chunk of change. So uh, yeah. so what they're trying to do to kind of help with that, because the, the fees are a little bit higher with 4.0. They have this success-based testing approach that permits the, uh, the devices to be updated as often as possible to get 4.0 certification without absorbing more of those fees. I think in the past they've had to uh, resubmit and it can get kind of expensive. And then there's this other two for one test results program, which, you know, sounds like, you know, something you get at like, you know, Wendy's or something, but it will allow the vendor <laughs> to go uh, test. Yeah. You get uh, <laughs> two sides of fries. Uh, so, so they do this thing where they can verify the modem on 3.1 systems. And then uh, later on as 4.0 technology continues to uh, mature, uh, you can test that against network stuff that's based on 4.0. So they're trying to make it a little bit easier for the, uh, the suppliers to test and, and retest without getting buried in, in all these fees. Um, but I think when you boil it down, I mean, it's pretty good news, I guess, for the cable guys, because it means that uh, well, we might have certified 4.0 modems by, uh, say, late 2023 at the very earliest, but you know, maybe more likely yeah. next year. And that's all kind of coming together as the operators continue to seed the network uh, for 4.0 with uh, DAA, which is a prerequisite for for 4.0. So actually, a little bit of uh, stuff happening in cable all of a sudden. So that was that was good to see. Yeah, we're making uh, I guess progressive steps forward to uh, being able to upgrade existing cable networks to gigabit speeds, and that's hugely yeah. important because it puts off the need. Uh, the immediate need for fiber in, in the short term and also upgrades a ton of people uh, because they're, you know, I don't know how many million of pe people are connected by uh, DOCSIS 4.0 eligible networks or soon to be connected by those networks. But yeah, it's a pretty big deal for broadband, especially in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, for um, sure. Uh, yeah. Hey, uh, you know, and, and Jeff and I both, uh, so I'll, I'll end on this. I know we're running a bit long, but Jeff and I, both listened to the Apple uh, Vision Pro announcement at the uh, Worldwide Developers Conference. Uh, this was that Monday. It seems Monday. like six, seven years ago. But yeah, it was Monday. <laughs> In technology years, it was um, um, a decade ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, you know, I've got some some kind of reactions to the. Uh, to the whole thing and, and kind of reactions to the reactions of everybody online. Um, but, uh, but, but Jeff, we should talk about this cause you know, just kind of going out of order for what, what, what my thoughts are. Um, the, the one thing I noticed about vision pro was that connectivity was not really a feature. Um, so I think, uh, the fact that Apple didn't even mention it means that they don't expect that, uh, either they haven't thought it through yet, or they don't expect that people are, are game to pay for any kind of difference in connectivity. So they're probably yeah. just going to put in Wi-Fi, but they might put in 5G, but who cares? Nobody's going to pay an upcharge anyway. It was um, odd. I thought that th there was really nothing said or shared yet. And maybe like you said, they're not ready to 
talk about the specs for the connectivity. You, know, you and I had talked about, you, you had mentioned, well, maybe they'll build it into that uh, that device that the they little hang battery off. Battery brick. Battery, yeah. yeah. Maybe they put it in there. Um, what I, And I was having a couple of discussions about with a couple of folks who are kind of in that segment or are going to get access to some of these, um, uh, the Vision Pro to run tests on. And, and their thinking was, and not... Uh, not confirmed or anything, but yeah, it would be probably initially Wi-Fi focus. And there was some thought of maybe would uh, Apple do a, uh, like a Wi-Fi 6E only type of approach where it's only using the six gigahertz spectrum where there's a lot right. of uh, capacity there to do what they need to do. Or would they do multi-band with like Wi-Fi 7? You know, I don't think... Yeah. They haven't announced anything. The only thing I saw was in in some of the like the uh, the small print when they were talking about some of the tests they conducted. It was on Wi-Fi connected to a network, uh, but that's right. that's the only place anything or the only area where anything actually showed up in any of the material. Yeah, I noticed that as well. There was no mention of it being the cellular thing, and it it also kind of makes sense because the the use cases that they showed were people, um, you know, a woman on an airplane. Uh, a man uh, at a desk at work, and then, you know, a couple of different people at apartments or in their bedrooms or in their living rooms, you know, sort of enjoying entertainment. So the, so this isn't a device, because I think this was also kind of miscommunicated by a few analysts out there. This is not a device that people are going to wear anywhere. It's not Google Glass. They're not leaving their house with this thing on. It doesn't seem to be that kind of device. And Apple was pretty careful not to show that off. And so I think that takes down the expectation that we're going to have any kind of cellular connectivity, at least at first. I, I do think they've left the door open because one of my other observations about what was interesting in the whole thing was that what they've actually done, if you just put the device aside for a second, is they've created a new user interface for our um, computers and other devices. Um, spatial computing does kind of give you this, uh, this ability to use a Vision Pro type of device to tether to a laptop, but basically to create screens at eye level as big as you like and as many as you like. I'm sure there's limitations on it, but I can see people in creative fields where they're designing, where they're editing, where they're uh, even doing high intensity, uh, you know, photo work on high res photos or uh, video editing or even sound editing where they can have kind of a tactile feel for the timeline and stuff like that. I can see um, a new UI that uses the space around you to be incredibly valuable and incredibly useful and super efficient, especially if you can keep those multiple windows open. And that has a knock-on effect to the Mac because one of the other things Apple is high on right now is the fact that they have finally weaned themselves off of Intel chips. So they've got high-performing chips in all of their new laptops and all of their, uh, you know, uh, new devices. And having this new user interface that's essentially going to drive computing cycles, um, you know, is very good for them because it keeps, you know, it keeps you needing more horsepower for your computer. And the more horsepower you need, the better these devices perform, the more aggressive you can get with opening windows and, you know, having things playing on one side, like you could literally have 
you know, two or three playoff games going on while you have your conference call over here. <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying I'm going to do this. That's the Nicole use case for sure. I was just thinking things Next that Nicole and I will never. During the NFL playoffs, <laughs> there's probably no, no way for me to uh, say that I'm going to yeah. do that. But. Nicole would be watching like Senate hearings on one side. That's Senate true, hearings yeah. and, and Broadway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she could have... <laughs> She could have, it's my personality. Some could have, uh, you know, some Broadway stuff going on, uh, yeah. Senate hearing in one corner, and then maybe uh, maybe the security camera from her building. You know. <laughs> Perfect she's summer just, vacation. He sees yeah. all. Gosh. Yes. Uh, but anyway, I I thought the the whole idea of Apple just sort of uh, you know the device is one thing. And whether people are going to like Vision Pro or not, I don't know. I'm not an expert in that sort of thing. But what I, well, one quick thing about the the last sort of observation I have is the price. Everybody sort of balked at the price, but yeah. I, it was a developer conference, so I feel like um, if the price is a problem, then it wasn't for you, um, because Apple announces all kinds of things at these developer conferences and i mean they sell a mac pro it's a tower computer that costs somewhere between six and twelve thousand dollars and nobody better than i about that so i i think the you know and the reason why is because that computer is not for you that's for people who make marvel movies <laughs> that's that's the only person that you know the the use case for this is very slim and i think that we have to get used to the fact that apple is going to be telling developers things that are targeted to very specific high-end markets that really don't affect the rest of us. But the UI thing, I think that could affect the rest of us eventually when this stuff kind of gets uh, proliferates and gets, gets out there a bit. I think there's a lot of directions we could go with a new user interface to standard computing, and that would be an easier way to layer in more high-end computing like actual you know, uh, uh, augmented reality and virtual reality in addition to uh, you know, the standard stuff that we would do on a laptop. Uh, so anyway, those are, those are sort of the, the things I, I took away from it, but, uh, yeah, for the telcos, sorry, it doesn't look like you're participating in this part of the economy, uh, yet again, <laughs> it's mm -hmm. <laughs> until this stuff becomes, uh, I mean, it's untethered now, but it's not yeah. mobile, mobile. And so I don't, and maybe when I it becomes more that that mainstream, becomes yeah, or a little more mainstream. Yeah. And I do, yeah. I, I do expect that private yeah. 5G will be a player here in that space yeah. because there is, you know, like I said, there's some industrial uses. There's some design things. I'm sure they're going to make specialty uh, headsets for different industries and stuff like that. So there is a role for telcos to play on kind of the enterprise connectivity side. So I, I don't mean to be completely dismissive. I think, I think that'll um, uh, come to fruition. And then like we saw this week, uh, Apple just, uh, recently bought um an ar headset maker uh that was uh that had some applications for uh for the u.s military so there's there's clearly an intent to either tune vision pro to different wildly different use cases or to take the technology developed for vision pro and have it trickling into uh more specialized hardware and stuff like that but either you know Either way you go, there is there is an opening for this to maybe excite uh, interest in private 5G or something like that in the enterprise. Yeah. Also wonder if eventually there might be different 
um, tiers of the product, just like they've kind of done with everything else, like having, um, you know, when the, the iPod was big, you had the shuffle and the nano and um, all kinds of yeah. different price points and capabilities. So maybe they'll have like a monocle one. it's like cheaper (laughs) if your life wasn't hard enough now you can wear a monocle and get picked on constantly that's awesome that is so funny yeah i can totally see that showing up too that's one thing you just don't see maybe some steampunk goggles instead you know like a a smaller version Mm -hmm. but yeah it's it's gonna i i I think there is going to be. Uh, well, let's talk. Let's let's get to our flash poll. I mean, would you buy a device if uh, of this sort? If Apple's Vision Pro or Apple's uh, next variant of Vision Pro had dropped to a thousand dollars or below, as the person in the group with an Oculus, uh, oh. I feel I have to speak up. Uh, I only have this device because. The pandemic uh, came along and uh, my brother and I, we used to have a, a fun habit of meeting up every couple of months and watching an obscure movie. And so we decided during the That's pandemic cool. to get Oculus headsets and and do that. So we were able to do that. But it cost me like, I think it was like $300 at the time. Yeah. And that was like pushing it. That was yeah. like, yeah. you know, only because I was losing my mind and, you know, my brother kept asking <laughs> me to do it. But so, no, I... I, I a thousand dollars still too three thousand yeah. dollars no and i'm pretty sure the price point on this starts at 34.99 so i think that yeah. is the starting price yeah i'm not yeah, sure the, if there's tiers that are going to be lower i i think it'll do the iphone thing i think it'll 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 have the initial price which will be too high for most consumers in most places for most uses but then eventually they'll have eventually yeah. uh you know stacks of, of of devices they'll have one that's kind of okay this is for sort of more of the mass market and then they'll probably come out with a you know a six or seven thousand dollar version that's a little a little more high end for for things or they'll specialize and go into different verticals because like i said there might be they, they might actually sense that there's a bigger um a bigger need for specific uh high-end verticals then and maybe they don't really care as much about the the consumer market on this um but yeah i i I totally uh agree i i i don't know if i might buy one for a thousand if i if it if it truly unlocked the computer in the way that they demonstrated because i'm not really into i don't really i'm not going to play games on it or do whatever but i I I would think that price is still a bit too much for most people. Yeah. Also, just for what I, I think I would use it in a similar way to Nicole. Like I, I was reading about the, um, you know, different FaceTime, how it would kind of change FaceTime and, uh, you know, watching movies together. But that's <clears throat> contingent on the other person wanting to buy uh-huh. it as well. Yeah. So. I don't know. I have a hard enough time yeah. just with my mom on FaceTime getting her to turn the camera. Sorry, mom. Now she's going to FaceTime you. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, on mom, turn it around. Yeah, I, I don't think, yeah, I think it would have to go be- a little further below $1,000 for me to give it any serious uh, consideration. I mean, I've, I've had a couple of VR, a couple of VR products, not an Oculus, but uh, like whatever that one that you connect to the PlayStation. And that yeah. was like more yeah. for games and stuff. And and I thought it was, 
an interesting uh, experience, but there was kind of a novelty to it and it kind of wore off and I was like, yeah, I, I don't really use it enough. So I think that would be my fear, but it sounds like you know, they do the way that they're putting a lot of different use cases. Um, you know, maybe the usability is a little bit uh, improved or expanded, you know, to, to consider it. But I think for me, I didn't have to get into that $700 range to even be considered. You know. Yeah. I, I, the one use case I saw that was a little far-fetched in my opinion was the, the although it, it seemed cool, but the woman who put it on, on the airplane and was like, you know, suddenly surrounded and, you know, kind of blocked yes. out the world or whatever. I, I, I love the idea of completely losing yourself in a movie while you're on an airplane, but, but to do that, you'd have to pack the damn thing and carry it on the airplane and then fret about breaking it the whole time and or everything else. And it's just like, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. and you'd have to like, pre-download anything you wanted to watch cuz right, Wi-Fi yeah. on airplanes is always touch yeah. and go and can you imagine being in the middle seat and like what if you're like interacting with it and you're just slapping everybody next to you and <laughs> <laughs> causing yeah. a ruckus. I don't think that would be, be me. I'd be like, "Well, sorry." <laughs> I don't think you'd be doing too many uh um <laughs> Uh, hand motions in that, in that scenario. But yeah, the whole idea of like, what I really wanted to see was the picture of her getting through TSA and up to the gate and that sort of thing. It's like, that's the reality what I the want to is- skip well, over. Only if, yeah, the only thing that would work, Kelsey, is if it was like a Tyrannosaurus Rex simulator. You know, they have little short arms <laughs> anyway. So you could maybe do that. But yeah, you couldn't. Yeah. Right. Mine looked kind of like a bunny. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, if you have a uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex game and you are a developer and uh, boy, this market's getting smaller all the time. Uh, I'm not really sure where that goes. Uh, I tell you what, for now, since we don't know where the market is going, why don't we wrap up this edition of the Notebook Dump? Uh, this will close out the week ending Friday, uh, June the 9th, 2023. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for watching. And we will see you next time unless it's orange outside. <laughs> I'm sorry.